yeah, I think that I stopped painting women years ago because as long as there was a woman in the painting, there was comments made about the woman, her body, and that is the thing I'm fighting. Yes. <laughs> you know, and um, so I just decided to focus completely on men. And, you know, it, it, it grew from just reversing the gaze, which is pretty straightforward, to then exploring masculinity. friends, welcome to Field Pod. This is our Field Projects podcast that focuses on art, activism, and our thoughts on living a good life. I'm Chris Racanello, and I'm the co-director of Field Projects, along with Jacob Rhodes. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Alexandra Rubenstein, whose current exhibition, The Moon Also Rises, is up at Mother Gallery in Tribeca. We meander through the difficulty of making angry or even relaxed work in the studio, therapy, gender, and figurative painting, and many other important topics. Alexandra is a brilliant, talented artist, and we highly recommend you check out the show at Mother and get to know her work more broadly. Before that, Jacob Rhodes and I talk about what's been happening in our lives this past week. We talk about the shows we went to, burnout books, and our personal self-care practices. This ends up being a very therapeutically oriented episode. So as usual, we'll end with a list of shows to go see right now. But before we get into the episode, we have a special announcement. Firstly, thank you all for joining us for our first season of Field Pod. This is the final episode of season one, but we will already be back next week with a new format for season two, Summer Shorts. These will be short 30-minute interviews and talks with either Jacob or I out in the world as we attend art or activist or even academic intersecting events throughout the summer. Summer Shorts will continue to be a weekly podcast, so be sure to keep your eyes open for Summer Shorts, and we'll be back in your feed with a longer format podcast in September. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe, and also please leave us a review. It really helps us in the charts. You should also be sure to check out the show notes below for our list of shows to go see with links to the gallery and artist websites and lots of other recommendations. Okay, here's our show and our talk with Alexandra Rubenstein. Jacob. Hey Chris, what did you do this week? <laughs> We're just diving right into it, I guess. I didn't do a ton of art stuff again this week because I've been super busy doing my own bullshit writing and working in the studio and dealing with friends and family stuff. On top of that, aren't you doing, aren't you setting up a conference? I am, yeah. Um, and I'm taking a Latin class. I've been pretty busy doing just, like, work stuff with that. How was your week? Oh, it was great. Just filled with fun things. That's and good. And Father's Day. You should talk about your bowling artist club that you started. Yeah, so um, I've just been trying to get together every other week with a group of artists 
it's you know it's different every other week because it's different people can make it so it's just sort of a wide casting a wide net and seeing who shows up we all suck at bowling so there's a lot of high fives <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of kind of just shooting the shit and hanging out gallerists artists yeah high fives sharing. low scores you know critics i don't think we've finished one game yet but really you know well, that's good. What else did you do? Or do you have any, like, fun shit that happened there you want to tell the listeners about? No, it was, uh, it was just, it was just good, clean fun. Drinking and bowling. Walking drunk through, uh, Williamsburg with a bunch of silly artists and gallerists. That was Friday. Uh, Thursday I went to Heroes Gallery and saw that Benny Maris show, um, which I really enjoyed. There's all sorts of really, uh, historical, interesting artifacts from artists but also uh, fashion and just all the stuff he has like five or six different people that he picked that inspire inspires his work great show see it at heroes gallery lower east side after that i went to the metrograph and had a dinner and then tried to go see human centipede but i just couldn't do it what do you mean <laughs> you tried to go see human centipede it was playing at 11 o'clock uh, I've never seen it, but uh, my friend Angela talked me out of it by just going, oh, God, oh, God, no, why would anybody make something like that? And just, oh, oh, and just made barf noises for about an hour. And then I was like, okay, I won't go see it. Yeah, that seems like a movie she would not like. I don't think I would like that movie. I've never seen it either. It's just stupid. It's like the Saw series. They're so bad. I mean, it's just like body horror for like unnecessary whatever. And I'm totally disinterested in that. This week I watched His House, which I thought was very, very, very fucking good. It has Amazing. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for the critic reviews. And then like 70 something for viewers. Um, yeah. It was so good. Uh, I highly recommend that. So don't see Human Centipede. Netflix, right? Go see his house. I think it is. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So, you know, if you have access to the evil fucking corporation that is Netflix, you can watch it there. I'm sure it's on other platforms. Human Centipede was just a joke. Uh, <laughs> I was never going to really go see it. I just thought it was really, it was part of Cindy Sherman's picks of, um, she's like curating what? movies. What? Why? Why did she pick this movie? Cindy Sherman, why did you pick this movie? I know you listen. Right in. Yeah, tell us. Tell us your reasoning, fucking crazy. Anyways. Have you seen her, the movie that she directed? Nope. Tell oh. us what it is. It's like a kitschy horror movie about a secretary. Molly Ringwald plays the main character. It's pretty fun. Yeah. It was made more interesting because she was the director. Hmm. Um, it didn't stand out as a cinematic masterpiece or anything is another piece of the body of her work well i have to say that i openly sobbed and profusely cried toward the end of his house which jacob you can attest to that i absolutely never cry during movies like ever so it was like a very moving experience <laughs> wow yeah. yeah yeah yes you don't you don't cry that often so that's that's pretty um, amazing it was very cathartic it felt yeah. good. Break um, this facade of machinery that is my life. <laughs> yes. So oh, so, oh, so I went to Jacob Reese today. For all mm -hmm. of you who have not gone, it was actually like a pretty amazing beach experience. I am used to this. I actually don't go to the beach very often because I grew up on Long Island and I'm used to the beaches there. 
which are fine. They're like some of the nicest speeches, I think, in all of the United States. But the people are not. And the people at Jacob Reese are fucking awesome. And it's like, you can go there. You don't have to wear a top. You just like, doesn't matter whatever gender, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's very queer friendly. There are a lot of like pride celebration things happening there today. The water was freezing fucking cold. I went because my friend Molly, who's in the PhD program at the CUNY Graduate Center with me, is moving back to California, which is very sad. She's awesome. I have no yeah. idea if you listen to the podcast, but I love you. And great. she's so great. She's just like such a um, it's never fun, been caring. No, I know. <laughs> it's never a secret. People know when I like them. <laughs> um, yes. But, you know, like she's. She's just, like, been a wonderful figure in my life while I've been going through the insanity of a PhD program. So I'm sad that she's leaving. We all stabbed ourselves because we were shucking oysters yesterday night for her going away party. And we were all drunk trying to open these oysters. <laughs> uh, you know, I performed a couple. Well, there was really only one instance where we really needed band-aids, um, you know, but... But it was a going away party, uh, sh- what, stabbing? Yeah, I guess so. Blood packed, you know? There you go, yes. And we all ate the bloody oysters, so. <laughs> right. uh, so that happened this week. I taught my uh, New York City Crit Club class. Again, it was fucking great. My students are amazing. Um, I don't even think of them as students. They're really just my peers. And we go and talk about, you know, the different topics. And we went to this site of the former J. Marion Sims monument this week on Saturday. Today is Monday when we're recording. So this was two days ago. Jacob, do you know who J. Marion Sims is? James no, please tell me. Marion Sims. Well, he was thought of as the founder of gynecology. Um, and oh, yes. But he's not. Which is an important thing that I came to through talking and having a discussion with my class. Gynecology has always existed, and toward the mid and end of the 1800s, male physicians and doctors, there's a great through-line podcast we already recommended called Before Roe, The Physician's Crusade, that's about physicians trying to make abortion illegal in order to push midwives out of the practice so that the women were out of the practice and men could come in and control women's bodies more. But it had never occurred to me that, of course, fucking gynecology has always existed. It's always existed. It's just existed in the space of midwives and women. And so part of the problem with that monument having been there is that it created this false narrative that he was a founder of gynecology, which he wasn't. They call him a father of gynecology. I just hate the gendered language. Anyway, so we went there. That statue was removed in 2018 after like seven to eight years of the community protesting having that statue there. The thing that really sucks about its removal is, first of all, it was the only statue removed and this was part of a big movement to remove even more statues. So it was really removed as a means of appeasing people and as a way of kind of shutting down the conversation about removing public monuments in New York City, and it worked. It did satisfy and appease the community, and there haven't been other statues removed. And it was removed to Greenwood Cemetery. So Greenwood Cemetery, now where James Marion Sims' grave is, is where um, the statue is now. So it's like marking his grave site. Uh-huh. Which is a giant obelisk like a penis, so... 
another fucking... And we're about to do an interview with someone and talk about penises a lot, so get used to hearing this word today on our podcast. <laughs> Alexandra Rubenstein, who makes amazing dick paintings. Um, but her new body of work focuses much less on genitalia, I would say. Well, it's no longer throbbing dicks. I, one of the series was these like very throbbing dicks. Yeah, that were um, sort of like rocket ships and whatever. Um, yeah. So... I have, a, I have a question about this. The idea, well, one of the ideas about removing these statues is one that you, or I'm sorry, one of the solutions is to move them all to an area that's like the removal statue area so people can visit them and they're not, and you're not erasing history or whatever. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. What was that great term The um, about erasing? Demnatio memoriae? Yep. Demnatio memoriae. But moving them all to one area, like it could be a park the park of the removed statues or something to that effect. So people can go and see them and there could be a discussion still lively around them and why they were removed and why they were originally erected. And I think that, I think that's a good solution to it because you want to continue to talk about, you know, this person and why they removed this statue and what this person stood for and how, you know, and how that was wrong. I don't think that New York has done anything like that. But that's just a suggestion for all of our DOE government working people that are working on this problem. I used to feel like I used to agree with you and I don't anymore. Um, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I just think that, first of all, there will never be a single solution. Each instance is very specific. Um, I also no longer feel that quote unquote damage or iconoclasm is bad or inherently bad there's so many ways of dealing with monuments in space um and the kind of archive you're talking about making this kind of like public park archive of monuments that have been removed from one type of public space and now putting them into a new type of public space that's like banished figures of history or something i just don't know if that's the best solution but I also don't necessarily think there is one best solution to deal with difficult historical figures. Because first of all, every historical figure is a difficult historical figure. Just sort of inherently by the nature of being a human who actually existed in reality, right? There isn't like an easy valorization. And when we reduce people to being heroic figures, which is what monuments really do in a lot of ways, we inevitably are making that we're like extracting them from the real and making them the ideal which is what we also are going to end up talking about with alex alexandra after this for a little bit but this kind of idea of like you know in my class we talked a lot about joan of arc specifically because we talked about a statue that was installed in the 1950s in algeria And during the War for Independence, she became a kind of site of iconoclash where she was claimed both by the French loyalists and also by the indigenous Algerian people as a kind of... And the way that she's able to be a malleable figure because she's thought of as a kind of valorized heroic figure and for lots of other reasons that have to do with like gender and virginity and youthfulness and military and whatever like but she's a very malleable figure because she's been abstracted from the real right and she's become this kind of ideal heroic valorized um person 
sorry. So the conclusion that I've come to is just like, I can't, like, I completely agreed with you before I started teaching this class. And now I don't exactly feel that way anymore because I just Mm. feel like it doesn't deal with the problem of the monument being in public space. And I like, well, I was thinking of that, like the idea of the, the different points of view and discussions would be part of the sort of installation of this, uh, shamed monuments or something like that mm-hmm. would be like this was taken down for this this was erected shamed monuments i like that it's like you said last week though when you talked about having a sort of three we talked about museum display and how to display the history of an object yes and i think what you're talking about now is the same kind of thing right that kind yeah. of display of history like how do we do it there isn't an easy solution <laughs> um, yeah. and can you do it for every object you know like we we just talked about this and I feel like it's so it's still very relevant in talking about trying to recontextualize something and how do you do that to like bring back in the human elements that are left out of the valorized figure you know because James yeah. Marion Sims tortured women mutilated them forced them to work on the other women that he was torturing like these were women who lived in his household and took care of his kids you know and like he spent so long like performing surgeries on them and like people in the field of gynecology who try to defend him are all like oh well there was anesthesia wasn't really widely used at the time and blah 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 But all of it has to do with the perception of, first of all, like black women feeling less pain, this like ridiculous, insane eugenicist idea that was developed in the 1800s. The fact that he also, it wasn't just like he wasn't using anesthesia, like he was purposefully doing these experiments in disgusting ways, like using his fingernails, like doing just gross things that no one should do to a person. Um, like not using proper surgical equipment. He basically started doing it in the shed behind his house. It was this like backyard, not sterile space, you know. So how do you bring that kind of really, like that kind of fucked up history, how do you bring that back in to a figure who this artwork has been made using the language of heroicism, right? Yes. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm still on board. <laughs> like, I I think I think this discussion shouldn't go away. And I think when you, you know, when you take something down, and then in this case we put it on, they put it on his grave. Like, the discussion is still not there, right? The discussion is there with you. The discussion is there with, with me, with a couple other people. But if this is then, you know, put somewhere and then given whatever the reasons why it was taken down, so on and so forth. And that, and then the viewer is, is allowed to kind of like start going through and learning things. I mean, you know, and now also we have technology where you can, you can get more of just a plaque of information. You can get, you know, a a full (laughs) history on your phone. But I think, I think for me that the danger is that, that the discussion disappears when you make the monument disappear. Yeah. Not like not like it doesn't exist in the the hollow halls of academia still or anything like that because I think it does, but I don't. But I think it's not uh, available in a sense to the public. My feeling is is to keep that visible and to try to have more transparency and more like availability to education. And, and when someone's like, "Well, why is what is this doing in the shamed, you know, <laughs> thing?" I thought. Robert Kennedy was amazing. <laughs> mm, <laughs> An archive of shame. Yeah, I don't know. Well, 
No, it, like a, a full, like, like you're saying, like a full sort of argument of, of different sides, not just you, this is, everybody should feel shame in here, but like the reason that we took this down is because the, the, the things that this person did that were so grievous are so much worse than any of the good that they did. You know? Right. So anyways, I don't know. I, I mean, I, that's, I think that's one solution. I'm not saying that's the only solution. And it's cool that you're teaching this class because I love hearing about it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been a really wonderful class. And we do kind of like draw or do writing assignments each time. And I feel like everyone in my class has helped me think through all of the ideas so much that we're talking yeah. and like brought different perspectives to things than I have. Um, that's why it's so wonderful to teach anything you know (laughs) because you get to pick you get to pick an idea you're super interested in and then hear other people talk about it with you right um and i i think more people need to teach that way but i know you teach that way specifically which is great yes i mean you know when i teach at cuny sometimes the subject is dictated to me but i also feel like any subject could be dictated to me and i could find the places where it was really interesting you know, and then be excited to talk about that with people. Um, So also, you know, I was feeling really burnt out this week. I don't like to use that term, but I was feeling really like burnt out and stressed about how much writing I have to get done and like, whatever, putting together lectures for class and Molly leaving, having to like go do friend and family stuff. I didn't go to a lot of things. And like one of the things that I skipped that I regret skipping, but I also don't regret because I gave myself a night in was that um there was this awesome lecture by elena kanji Liu at the national arts club and the very last national arts club lecture is going to be this wednesday so today um if you can go you should go you can also get access to the national arts club recordings if you request it from them so you could still listen to her talk about silk but she basically like talked about the intersection of class and gender in the creation, or I'm sorry, of lace, not of silk. Lace, yeah. Of the making of lace by, like, low-class women, and then it being worn by, like, very wealthy upper-class people, and, like, the, what that means, and, like, what that means today, um, what it means that it was made in convents often, like, throughout the early modern era, totally would be worth it to listen to if you're interested. Yeah. Um, but I did skip it. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't do it this week. So um, on that, and I actually uh, found out about that through Morbid Anatomy's uh, website, and that's how I came across that the lace thing, the lace oh, lecture. Yeah, I love Morbid Anatomy. But they're having a, a flea market um, down at Industry City this Saturday, uh, oh, three cool. to nine. Cool. Yeah. I'm gonna go and go check know, that out, people. They all have fun, silly, interesting stuff. Have you been um, uh, doing any reading or self care work at all over the last week? <laughs> I have been talk doing about? some self care work, and I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am starting to take a um, a sort of business coach person cool. to talk to them about um, you know our business and other businesses that I do. That's fucking <laughs> like, great. Anyways, that's uh, great. So you hired yeah. a business coach or or yeah, you found so, them or what? Yeah. 
Where did you get this I've idea? Got... Well, my friend Patty uh, went to a free one and invited me, and they were uh, via Zoom. And then um, I I volunteered to get business coached in front of everybody, and uh, on Zoom, <laughs> and. And then uh, afterwards, the coach called me and uh, we talked longer and they were just like, look, I really believe in what you're doing. And if you want to come for free, you can come for free. Wow. And I was like, that's amazing. But I don't think anybody should do anything for free, especially people like us, you know. Um, and so we, we settled on a good uh, affordable term for me or thing for me. And um, I also, you know, would feel better paying them for their time even though they were very much just like, hey, you know, I, I do this for rich people and they give me a lot of money so I can help other people who don't have a lot of money. You know? um, so, yeah, we were all on, on That's board awesome. Good yeah. People. I'm giving you the thumbs up. Good job. Yeah. Cool. You doing any, are you doing any self-care stuff or do you have time? I'm making a sad face. You Are you finding time to run? I mean, run is really one of your, your self-care language. I, I have been going running a little bit. Yeah. I ran a 10K the other day. That felt great. I was just... And I went to the beach today. Like, I see that as a self-care thing. I made myself take time off this morning to go see Molly and everybody. And, like... Because Sonia and Kirsten, who are also in the program, were also there. And another one of Molly's yeah. friends. These are these are really great. You have a great group. Yeah, they're awesome. I love them. And, yeah, it was good. Um, and it felt very, like, freeing and affirming to just, like, go to a beach and take my shirt off, you know, and, like, hang yeah. out, and, like, nobody cared, and every, you know, like, it felt really yeah. good, uh, to go to this thing. So, definitely, if you're looking for, like, affirmation in public space, and, like, you should go to Jacob Reese <laughs> Beach, because I feel like that was a really big self-care thing, uh, for me today, so, um. That's great. So I am making time to, like, do some stuff. But, you know, like, I mean, right now, all of my reading that I'm doing is really... Well, that's not true. But most of the reading that I'm doing is very much oriented toward my writing projects right now. And then mm -hmm. um, I've also reread the Constitution and oh, the right. Declaration of Independence and the Emancipation Proclamation this week. And yeah. uh, that was good. I realized that the tiny pocket version of the Constitution, which is the full Constitution, but that you can buy at the Strand, the introductory essay is like fairly, I don't know, it's like very moderate. Like I was expecting it or like and slash like maybe a little right leaning. And I was shocked by that because I had never read the introductory essay in the front of the constitution that I have at my house, which I bought at the Strand a while ago and like never really, I like picked up and looked through, you know, but had never read all the way through. So that was interesting. I did that for my solo show that I have coming up. Everything I'm doing is for like research stuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. That's really exciting though. I, I mean, I think that's pretty awesome. You read all those in preparation for this show at Home Gallery. Yeah. Yeah. So, Home Gallery. Um... <laughs> So yeah, I I also went to the Eye of the Spider. What the fuck is that for Art Jack? Cool. <laughs> and it, and it was really really fun. There was a silent auction, but the, there was there was a sound. What is it called? A sound bath, which just means you go into this 
one room and they're and they're making all these different kinds of sounds using these instruments and then after that there was a um, all bodies included um, burlesque show um, which was totally everybody was like having a blast did you do Uh, the burlesque were you able to join or was it not participatory my my body was not included. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't um, get to have my my beach experience that I had no, today. No, I felt like I was participating in burlesque. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, it was just a great fun night. They raised a bunch of money for um, uh, you know low income students, uh, people of color who who are from the neighborhood of Bed Stuy. Um, making classes free and available to them. Cool. Uh, these are ceramic classes. And then they had a, what do they call it? I don't know, like a, a ceramic off or something. It was like a, it was like they, they all had wheels and then they played music and they tried to make a pot, like a, a bowl. Mm-hmm. And then they would stop the music and take one of them away. And, you know, like it was like a the musical chairs situation where it slowly got down to two people and then they announced the two people as the winners. And the, those were all the uh, the teachers and volunteers there. Anyways, it was pretty awesome. It was great. Met some really interesting people. I, I was, I was, and everybody was dressed up. And the eye of the spider was the the theme. So it was however you interpreted that. And I think it, you know, McKendry and Sean, they just want like they interpreted it as big crazy outfits. Great. It was awesome. It was yeah. Did you wear a crazy outfit? No. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> I I just didn't I just didn't plan well. And it was like I was doing other things and then I was like, Oh shit, that's like tonight in an hour or two. Yeah. I was just gonna wear my shorty shorts and uh but I didn't feel like it was like Jacob Reeves access acceptability there. You mm. know? No no <laughs> dick hanging out of the short shorts. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we also have a show coming up. First of all, Albert Perez's show is coming down quite soon. Yep, last day is uh, July 2nd, which mm-hmm. is also the same day we're going to have Jug Roots. Open studio. Open studio. So please, so please come by. by. And then our next show is what, Chris? Then we have the open call exhibition that Melissa Joseph curated. We're very excited for that. There's going to be lots of great artists. Also, the online show will go up at the same time. Melissa did a great job curating. She's awesome to work with. Yes, she was great to work with. Loves art. So, yeah. So, we'd love to see you there July 7th. That's the day that it opens. Six right. to eight. Six to eight. See you then. Um, okay, great. All right. Do we have final thoughts about our weeks that we want to share or anything? No. No, we need to edit this no. down, too. This is a long one. No. no, he says. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, that really, like, I I haven't had a terrible week. I just am feeling, you know, overworked a little bit. I know you're usually overworked, but it does feel a little more intense than usual. It's amazing how, uh, yeah, it's amazing how when you say yes to everything, it just all of a sudden, all of the deadlines converge on each other. <laughs> So, to the um, listeners, this is, like, an important note to start saying no to things. Don't be like me. Because um, like you will a, feel we that. We every week. Yeah. It's weird. You know what? I keep learning it. 
<laughs> and and then it's and then it's gone. And then <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm really excited to talk to our interviewee, Alexandra Rubenstein. She is super fucking cool. She has an amazing show up at Mother Gallery right now that's very different from her past work, but also again, as I as you'll hear us talk about, it's very in line with that work as well, though. What are your thoughts, Jacob? I really enjoyed talking to her, but I also really, I really am enjoying that work too. It's, yeah. um, <laughs> it's relaxing. <laughs> yeah. While, while still getting at the things. Yeah. I just feel like she, you know, Alexandra's work is very much about gender and power, uh, figurative painting and issues around figurative painting and women and men. We also end up kind of talking about therapy more than I thought we would. And you know, I'm in therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy. I actually didn't get a chance to say that I think everybody should be in therapy and the government should pay for it. And um, yes, and tampons should be also given to or paid for by the government too, because that's just part of human health. Yes, we do talk about tampons. So be prepared, friends, for like a very frank discussion about genitalia and menstruation and whatever. Okay, why don't we dive into our interview with Alexandra and we'll see you in a second. Hey everyone, I'm Chris. I'm here with Jacob and with Alexandra Rubenstein. And That's you pref- and you prefer Alexandra? Uh, yeah. Okay. Right now. Um, this but, year. Yes, this year. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um. So we wanted to talk to you about your new show that's at Mother Gallery. And we also kind of asked you to do this. I mean, we've both liked your work for such a long time, but I really love this new body of work. So first, we'll kind of start out just talking to you more generally about your practice. And maybe we can start with how did you start making art? I don't know if we've ever actually talked about that with each other. Um, Oh, deep dive. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I started when I was pretty young, probably like around eight. You know, my mother was relatively attentive. She noticed I was into it. I was good at it. So then I started taking art classes and and often that seemed to be the only thing I was good at. <laughs> and also, <laughs> but and that was inside my head, turns out. But uh, yeah, it was very meditative. Looking back, I feel like a lot of people get into art because it's a meditative way to process things you're not even able to talk about at the time so yeah then you know art classes art classes went to college for art moved here and kept making art and when you say here you mean new york York, city yes right yes because you were born somewhere else and then you came here when you were younger right i was yeah i was born in russia came to the united states in 97 with my family arizona then pennsylvania and went to school at carnegie mellon in pittsburgh and then new york Wow. Awesome. You've lived like a yeah. bunch of places in the United States. <laughs> uh, swing states. As yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> those are definitely swing states. Yeah. I mean, I guess also the, the work is so different or it's not so different. It's completely in line with other things that you've done. But I was also kind of curious about asking how you kind of settled on not specifically this body of work that's up at Mother Gallery right now, 
how did you start painting? What, yeah. well, what made you interested in kind of reclaiming and painting naked men, dudes and butts? Like, how did that come out of, I know you had a more sort of, I actually own your, mm -hmm. um, one of your clocks that has mm -hmm. like a naked ass on it. And then there's a clock needle that actually works, which I love. Everyone, it's like a statement piece in my house. Everyone fucking comes into my house and is like, oh my God, look at the butt. My mom is in love with it. She's always like, oh, you have to show your aunt and blah, blah, blah. Like, make sure you take a picture and send it to her. So um, it's like a very funny, engaging work. Um, and this body of work at Mother's a little bit different, but how did you even get into making the work that's led you here? My work has always been a response to feeling sexualized and objectified from a young age and the lack of control and agency that came with that and it has evolved uh, over the last you know 12 however many years based somewhat on my personal growth as well as the response shapes whether i'm getting my point across and yeah i think that i stopped painting women years ago because as long as there was a woman in the painting there was comments made about the woman her body and that is the thing i'm fighting <laughs> yes you know and um so i just decided to focus completely on men and you know it, it, it grew from just reversing the gaze which is pretty straightforward to then exploring masculinity and and always getting back my power and control right so i think objectifying men isn't necessarily just me reversing roles to me it's getting that power that men have historically had and and how they have minimized women to their bodies and society and um so to me it's connected to oppression so i think that that was like the initial thread and then exploring masculinity because maybe empathizing with men would make me a little bit less angry <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> just a little and then um you know i had that show with where i used penises as symbols for masculinity and talked about men's vulnerabilities in that language and i you know i thought that was fun and for me but then i thought it was also missed some people and um because i think by minimizing men to their penises and minimize me to their penises so then i think that reflecting on that body of work and also a couple of years of with a better therapist during covid yeah i have personally yeah. evolved into maybe a slightly calmer being and and you know i think that that work was very taxing for me yeah it is not calm imagery for me it was never you know about celebration male genitalia so i think that i had this desire and i was being drawn towards uh things that calm me which is sky sunsets very simple things and then you know figuring out a way to still talk about masculinity in that form because i'm still very much focused on men's role in society and you know men is Mostly I'm talking about cis straight white men as, as the group of people that still maintain the most power and money and privilege in society.
just to simplify it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And I think, you know, I, I didn't paint much during COVID. I kind of took a break because it didn't make sense to a spend so much money on things that weren't, it wasn't even possible to show. Uh, there was a lot going on to respond to. So something faster like drawing made more sense to me. And yeah, then when I got back to painting, I just had a desire to paint things that were both conceptually interesting to me, but also calming and not upsetting <laughs> to look at all day. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I also feel like you were doing the menses project or like oh, the yes, blood yes. project too, which is sort of yeah. drawing and sort of painting. I don't know. How do you think about it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think so much of my work is like an immediate response to something happening. So, uh, periods had come up in my relationship and you know I was dating somebody that wasn't as comfortable as previous boyfriends have been with periods and I thought oh cool let's explore <laughs> let's dive in and um <laughs> let's normalize looking at blood because this is you know another thing that's fine line that women have to walk where only celebrated when we're young and fertile but we don't want to see any of the yeah bodily fluids that come with that use and fertility the fertility yep, yep. I totally yeah. agree. We don't want to see the science of it all. We just want to... Exactly. I mean, I think, like... Yes. We, we want the conceptual. The magical, mm -hmm. Yeah, the magical religion idea of it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's... And that's also in line with my work of just... The more you see something, the more normal and commonplace it becomes, you know, where there was the cunnilingus or the male nude, and now, you know, periods... Yeah, I mean, also, I feel like every single person should have to carry, like, menstrual products, or should, like, they don't have to, but, like, <laughs> wouldn't that be a wonderful world if you could walk up to someone who presents as a dude and be like, do you have a tampon? <laughs> like, I really, <laughs> like, amazing. I need one, you know, and it would just be so much, like, why don't we, just all of the dialogue around so many, you know, it's amazing because the paintings you make are powerful because they are talking about subjects that are often so taboo in public space. Um, mm -hmm. And you're putting things out there like in a gallery space where people can walk in or even like your super funny masks that you were making <laughs> were hilarious. Like the idea of walking around with, what were they? They were like, were they kind of a continuation of the Cunnilingus project, maybe, or something? I think, I think it was, you know, uh, just things you can put on masks that would yeah. make some funny statement. And because that, is, that was like a way, one of the few ways people could communicate in, in the lockdown was passing each other on the street masks. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think it was much more conceptual than that, really. But I think that, you know, also based on what I've learned in therapy is I think my work is so um, in your face and like graphic and direct because of um, this negative association I have with secrecy and um, and not talking about things and not naming things the way they are. Yeah. And everything's a response, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, when you name something or talk about something publicly or have transparency, yes. uh, there, there's more of a, a chance for you to, to own it or take control of it or do 
put it in the place that where you want it to be. Yes, it gives you control and also transparency is safety. It's like, it's, um, and I mean, I think that applies to most of the world, right? Like we lack transparency and I think most people, when they don't know something, they assume the worst and, um, yeah. So why not be clear about it? Cool. Yeah. I always, um, thought your work was very playful, although dealing with really, uh, obviously huge issues that affect everybody. Um, and I, it, it was disarming, I think, because of the way that you uh, sort of attack the, the issue. Like uh, something really simple was like your bottle openers, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was like a, 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 a kind of famous nude male, like, um, um, I don't I don't know, <laughs> uh, I'm blanking, but Cannonball Run guy or like Burt Reynolds or something like that or, or Magnum P.I. or some types of like... <laughs> sort of sexy male, like kind of standing up spread eagle with like a, a, a bottle opener over yeah. his junk. Right. And then in my, in my simple interaction with that, I, I did feel like, I'll, Oh, I can't like, I felt like awkward trying to get close to open my bottle off of this thing, mm-hmm. even though it was, I was not at risk. There was nothing, you know, like there was, <laughs> there was nothing going on there besides okay. my own kind of um, conservatism or something like that, which is inherent in the culture. But also that it's, I mean, it's disarming because it's, it's straightforward, but it's also playful and funny and it get you get to sort of, in a certain sense, like several, well, the shows that I've been to with your work at it, like you, like people kind of giggle and then like someone says something and then there's, there's a little, you know, like it's like an entry point to talk about these, these issues around power Mm -hmm. and, and uh, gender. For sure. Like, I think like it has to be light in order to be accessible. And it's also kind of uh, the, it's, I mean, not exactly photorealist, but pretty close, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also something that most people feel comfortable talking about as far as art goes, like just the average Mm -hmm. person off the street. Totally. Yeah. Again, it's accessible, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, yeah, actually just thinking about when you were talking about that series is I think I was so focused on painting men as passive in the beginning and i think with this series i'm like commenting on the passivity instead just a personal observation <laughs> oh. well let's move into that i i think uh, i mean and chris do you have any other things that you wanted to talk about the older work or no to- i think we can definitely jump in i just think that it's really helpful for listeners to kind of hear you talk a little bit more broadly about your work before we talk about this body of work Um, and I also, I mean, I think we should keep talking about, um, therapy and art also, but one of the things I wanted to say maybe before we move on is just something I keep thinking about too, is I have really struggled with painting women as well for exactly the same reason, you know, because I feel confronted on the street often, obviously Mm -hmm. not every single day, but honestly, actually every single day something happens, right? I go running a lot and have lots of confrontations there. I have confrontations on the subway, whatever. Um, And then I don't want to make images of a woman that then get confronted the same way and perpetuate that kind of confronting. So I feel like that is such a great just even though it's not the entirety of how you got to making this body of work, um, 
I really identify so much with that feeling that you have about not wanting to paint women. And also, like, I've struggled with that feeling, though, too, because I feel almost Mm -hmm. like I've been pushed out of being able to paint women because I'm so infuriated about the way that images of women are encountered um, and Mm -hmm. treated by, like, the dominant culture, which, as you said, is, like, cis, white, male people, right? Um, So anyways, I think I, I... we can keep talking about that as we talk about the new, more landscape-oriented work, because I think that's also, like, an interesting change and shift um, in how you're dealing with male bodies. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, let's definitely, Jacob, if you have, like, a first initial question or something, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I th- we'll definitely get to <laughs> Hemingway. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, uh, but uh, I instantly was struck by the you know the fecundity of of the land and how it's 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 the it's the the you know like i guess they're they're pretty worked like jim worked bodies but they're at rest Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um and they're they're sort of there's no heads if i if i remember correctly i mean there's there's like the little guy diving in the water you can see his head but but like the bodies, I think there's I if I remember correctly, there's no they're all kind of they don't you can't see their faces. Yes. It's mostly just their torsos, uh, front and back, mm-hmm. um, and and they're so well integrated into like I don't know. It just feels like a very almost, for me like a '70s fantasy, you know, painting on velvet in like a in like a disco house or something like they're 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 super seductive (laughs) and they're and they're just like you know the beauty of of a male body uh at rest i wanted to use aspirational male bodies as you know a symbol of this strength but it's a facade because in reality they are morphed into the environments and they are stagnant and mm-hmm. and passive, love and passive. But yeah, it's um, and the other elements are in movement around them. So um, the waterfall off the butt cheeks. Exactly. It's like every, yeah. So all these other elements are you know are representing fluidity and change, while the men are weighed down. And um, and anonymous and indistinct, like they're blending in, which I think is what I'm commenting on is this um, environment of inaction among this privileged group that I'm that I'm interested in is, and you know, one of those tools is blending in and not doing anything and. Um, yeah, so uh, in the landscapes, these beautiful bodies are obstructing the landscape and just creating obstacle as opposed to <laughs> doing anything useful and, you know, um, that it requires actual strength. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're gym bodies, definitely. Like, they're all, they're, they're, they're worked in a specific way to make them be cut in large yeah. muscles, but not... The kind of muscles you would get working on a farm or something like that. There's some, there's some farm muscles, but I think it's also, you know, you, 
I feel like um, pushing it too much in terms of a body could could move it in a different direction, I think, in terms of the meaning people would take away, you know. So I like the contrast of the perception of strength without any actual action. Yeah, I've always felt really sort of irked by the, like, second wave feminist association of women with the earth and so I also like really love this sort of inverting that right and kind of this very playful turn to like uh male earth god kind of like integrated with the instead of having these kind of like woman as landscape and passive and reclined like yes exactly yeah I just um like it's it's a simple move, but at the same time, it feels so um, like innovative to do this, and it's shocking that there aren't there haven't been more people doing this, right? Like even if we mm-hmm. think about um, artists that Jacob and I have worked with who've made bodies in landscape, they're always kind of women, or maybe sort of gender neutral. You know, there's not a lot of penises yeah. in the sky. Right. Like, <laughs> and it's like, that's such a crazy thing to say. Um, but it feels, and, yeah, you know, I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that men have gendered the environment historically. Yeah. So then they don't want to associate with it. And if we feminize it, we can destroy it and we cannot take care of it and we can just take from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The manifest yeah. destiny paintings. Exactly. Right. Yes. And, and Manifest Destiny itself is, you know, this entitlement to land. I was yeah. really interested in that. And, um, yeah, like, the way men feel entitled to space and land, and now that it's on the verge of a collapse, we're exploring outer space, we're abandoning it, you know, or yeah. metaverse. Like, we're just disengaging from it. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally, and I also think of how in the United States for such a long time, and this attitude still prevails among a lot of people, but, like, for so long, America was proud of being a polluter, that we were, like, the number one polluter of the earth, that we created a ton of pollution, because that meant that we were at the forefront of innovation, and there's this sort of, all of the macho stories, right, like, we can think about everything that has fucking happened in the past couple of years, like the debates about coal, the debates about clean energy, like all of those things have been very gendered um, in public discourse, in popular discourse, right? So like, if we think about, you know, people like the macho associations with like, I, whatever it is, like laying like railroads and driving a car and like all of those things in the way that they're yeah. associating machines with men and exactly. specifically not associating the environment and care for the environment and environmental stewardship with men. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like... More like an exploration and like... Yeah. Taking, yeah. Yes, yeah. when the environment is associated with men, it's associated with exploration. I think that's mm-hmm. also an important point, right? Um, and these, the men are not exploring in your paintings, which is great. <laughs> they're, they're sort of reclined, right, in the same... Sorry, Jacob, you were you were saying. Oh, I, you know, I was also saying, I was just going to piggyback off that about domination. Uh, and yeah. once again, capitalism is behind 
all of this really easily, which is either you're dominated or you're being dominated in capitalism. And like, if there's only those two options, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Yeah. You don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, or you're, you're given a false sense of no choice. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that these paintings are kind of, they're kind of funny because they, they, they flip flop between things. Like I see definite objectification of men's bodies and also in like a celebration in a, in an objective Mm -hmm. kind of way. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, aren't they, aren't these buns so perky? Aren't these back muscles so beautiful? Um, You know, like this guy's got, you know, a 12 pack or something on, um, but then there's a couple other ones where they're like they could be sleeping. Like there's one where there's nipples that are glowing in I the love desert. That one. Yeah. And yeah. And I actually for me that really that made me think about <laughs> the mysticism of the desert and, and like UFOs and like the, the the sexualization of science fiction and how there's always yeah. like a you know, a, a hot something, hot alien <laughs> with glowing nipples. Um, but so there's all of they're, they kind of they push back and forth between kind of kitsch and then this um, the other sort of or maybe they're using kitsch to sort of uh, disarm us as we co- as we come to them or something because it's the you know the, the issues you're talking about are are pretty in pretty strong and important and very present within all of our lives um, in my in my life as a as a kind of like yeah, whatever, like the, like, this is what you're supposed to be. And this is like the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like the moment you try to assert that there's some other way, then they're like, no, you have to whistle at girls. That's how they know you like them, you know, like, yeah. and you're like, I, what, how, <laughs> what does that do? But I don't know these, I, can you tell me about like the sort of the seductive colors of these and like, like they're all phenomenon, right? Like, it's like, it's a moon, it's it's a sunset yeah this beautiful sort of really yeah they're totally enticing i agree like i feel like even though we're sort of angrily talking about how shitty men on the street can be it's it is in a way also like a celebration of like men can have beautiful bodies and like be integrated into this kind of like earth god landscape Um, And I do feel like the colors are, I agree, Jacob, the colors are very seductive. Um, And I just wanted to add one thing about the um, desert nipple painting. What is that painting called? (laughs) Hang on, let me, I have the website up. It's called The Moon Also Rises 4. I was thinking about adornment and like decoration and Uh how those nipple, like the first thing I thought of was two things, stupid first thought. No, it's like cat's eyes. Second thought. Um, <laughs> immediately when I walked in and saw it, I was like, oh. Um, and then the I'm second... Like, next piece, okay. <laughs> cat eye yeah, nipples, yeah. got it. Cat eye nipples. And I this was like, oh. This is a theme, Chris. This is a theme. Uh, when she was looking at a painting by Albert, it was um, a horse, his face. But Chris thought it was a guy with his arms up showing off his nipples where the horse's eyes were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't see things correctly the first time. <laughs> or you see you see nipple eyes a lot. Nipple eyes, or I see it. nipples everywhere, you know, nipple eyes. Um oh you're right, it is nipple eyes. The eyes were nipples. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry. Um but actually, you know, like I think that's really interesting too, like the 
the male nipple is a kind of ornamentation of the body and like yeah. ornament and function and like I don't know I feel like there's actually quite a lot there that you're commenting mm-hmm. on with a very simple gesture um that's about like the like uselessness of men's nipples but also their kind of like beauty and like that they can be useful but they're useful more for like ornamentation and sexuality than for like actual production of things I don't know there's I'm curious about like if you thought about any of those things or if this was like one of those studio moves that kind of like happens as you're you know what I mean or because the whole painting is really structured around that right I mean it it did happen it was a studio move you know I had a smaller piece and I was just like these need to be going and <laughs> and I you know I wouldn't necessarily call men's nipples useless I think yeah that yeah I think it was nice to draw attention to something else, especially, you know, in the context of the world, but also my own work, you know, just point the direction somewhere else. This is not about genitalia, even though you're seeing it and maybe you're not used to seeing it. This is about just men's bodies. They're, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty to look at it, but it's, you know, it's a pretty useless thing. And then all the other stuff we talked about, but, um, but yeah, I want, I want the paintings to be enjoyable to look at and it, like humor. I think like these themes are need to be packaged in a certain way to be accessible or retain certain people's attention. And again, I'm not really painting for those people. A lot of this stuff is obviously intuitive and for me as well, but um, I think all of them can work together. Yeah, it's really interesting because in this piece, it is, I definitely agree, like, and yes, it's definitely ornamentation, but it also sort of turns the setting sun into a nipple and the nipples are turned into setting suns. You know, like they're almost like giving off light the way that you painted them. And I really like that play where suddenly the sun that is not figured in like any real way kind of becomes the thing that is figured itself. There's a nice like play with the men being landscape and the actual like landscape elements themselves. Um, Yeah. And I also totally agree. I like that in this one, like, the genitalia is very like much in the shadow it's like in the corner it's there but it's not the point of the painting um and it's really hard to do that i think it's really hard to paint a penis and not have it be the first thing people look at right um i feel it's really successful in this painting that like it's not the first thing i looked at um i mean yeah almost i just wanted the rest of it to be him to be irrelevant and it's yeah and morphed in and and also you know I think that I was thinking a lot about gendering of nature while working on this and um I feel like you probably know Alok Alok yeah 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 so I'm like reading nature's body and it's talking about how mammals comes from the term mama which is like the breast and how much significance is always put on uh, lactation and breast milk and 
and yeah, bringing that into the male body and just blurring the lines because all of this is someone's projection of what's feminine and masculine and and yeah, I mean, even with the moons and the suns, you know, the whole and the the wet and dry right. and all of these things being gendered and scr- scrambling it all up and making the male, you know, just stagnant while everything else is just evolving around it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I totally feel like, first of all, everyone should go follow a lock on Instagram. I'll put a little thing in the show notes. Um, there's so much material there and especially the, the nature's body reading or like, I don't know, like I recently read this, um, book by Leah Devon that's about the shape of sex, um, and the way that sex was understood differently, um, throughout the late antique and medieval period up to the Renaissance, um, and like how, the Renaissance fucked everything up <laughs> uh, with this sort of like binary ideas of gender that developed during that time. Um, I shouldn't say fucked everything up because it's not really true either. It just really shaped where we're at now with gender today mm-hmm. in a way that I think um, is very different from a lot of history, um, how gender was understood. So, and I like also. I think you're right to have pushed back against me saying that men's nipples are useless because I know that's not true, <laughs> but I meant it more in like a... <laughs> I know, I know. Biologically. I just yeah. like to cover my bases, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> men are great. Yes, men are great. We like you. Please listen to the podcast. <laughs> Your nipples aren't Your useless. Your matter too. Don't worry. I'll let them know at the men's conference that you okay. guys are okay, right? <laughs> Thanks, Jacob. Um, <laughs> so, so we kind of talked about that one painting, but the largest painting in the show, I think we also definitely need to talk about, um, you know, men are either land or sky in these paintings, um, or water. I mean, this one actually, it's sort of sky and water and land. It's a very confusing painting. Um, and I like that a lot. Like you're you're playing around with it's both a mountain, but also the sky, but also a waterfall, and you're kind of collapsing all of those things into this like ethereal body um, that's there. Can you tell us about like is this the first painting or the last painting you made? Like how did you get to this place? Because it's such an int- like fascinating painting to me, and there's also a double person. Is this the mm-hmm. only one with a second person? No, so there's far. two bodies down, like in a row. Oh, yes, yes. In the in number six. Oh, but I mean, um, yes, but I little mean guy, little of little a different boy. exactly the scale difference of like the real person uh, versus the mm-hmm. ethereal person, if that makes sense. Um, who's diving off of this like? canoe into the water but the water is also interestingly painted where the water is land and the land is water the same way the body is land but also water and sky um like i really love the plays that are happening there and and how you've painted this piece um so to go back to my first question what order did you paint these in or like is this a first or a last or like sort of in between or during this one was uh towards the end um 
I wanted to make a, a bigger piece because, you know, I was thinking that because there are landscapes, it would be nice to have something that was more encompassing for the viewer, you know, as a, and created an atmosphere. And I based it on another, on actually the first painting that I had done. And cool. um, mm -hmm. I think you guys have seen with the moon and the, the body. Um, so then I jumped off that earlier version and again, I wanted, you know, I really wanted to be sort of symmetrical, but not as, because again, this is like, this series is meant to be meditative for me. Yeah. <laughs> and like nature is like this relaxing help, you know, environment. And then, um, and I, because it was, I guess, um, after a few other pieces were made, I was thinking more about how the water tied in, was tying into climate change as well mm -hmm. and melting, but also like oil and all these things that are both beautiful, but destructive. And that's why I wanted, you know, the, the water that the man boys diving into, to be more vague, um, and less fresh looking, <laughs> less, uh, it's kind of a dark green dark black water that he's going and he's jumping off of a a, a fallen tree right mm -hmm. no it's yeah. a canoe yeah i mean I, I yeah i mean you know i do a lot of like I, I search for images all the time so a lot of it was intuitively being out like this is perfect and then there's like this broken tree in there which is another like such a male phallic thing you know and then he's just diving head deep and into the dark abyss <laughs> Well, I was going to say, yeah, like kind of with abandon, like he's going in the yeah. edge first. Like. And there's nowhere to dive because it's the water we see here is not really water. And also something hilarious about a tiny little boy figure just diving, you know, anything is happening and the guy is just taking a dive, you know? Yeah. It reminds yeah. me of the um, Thomas Aikens, both his photographs of boys, but then also yeah. he has that painting of of a couple of boys that are like out in nature together. And those are mm -hmm. some of the only, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because he's, he's sort of doing the boy objectification, but he's doing it from mm -hmm. a completely different place. Um, yeah. And that's not the painting I was thinking of, but it just feels like these are kind of calling on the like a couple of art historical moments but like still mm -hmm. really flipping them around yeah a because you're a complete for coming from a completely different place than someone like thomas akins um mm -hmm. but also because i mean they are doing all of the sort of slipperiness that we were just talking about where it's like unclear about the atmosphere and landscape and whatever yeah. um you know and like again now we're also talking about these being very relaxing for you and like that you wanted to make paintings that are like not quite so charged right like the right. the the direct dips that are object paintings were like really intense i think right sure. um, and these feel so much not that they're not they have a lot of intensity but they don't feel intense the same way um no you know and they do feel and like for me i'm like oh i'm so jealous <laughs> Because I feel like I haven't let myself paint relaxing paintings in a long time. I have let myself yeah. make relaxing paintings, but 
I feel like I've been too angry to make relaxing paintings. Um, and these also just feel like I can feel how good it must feel to make these paintings in the work itself. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And the colors is just, I feel like I, I think painting has to be for you as well. Cause I think I was just so set on making a point for a while and still am, but you yeah. know, I think I can. It's a death. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I think it's, it's also, it has to be more selfish and I have to paint also what brings me peace and joy and and I think yeah I don't know I think um it was a long pandemic right you think about so yeah. many things I feel like everyone was like painting their pets and it was just making me laugh how we can't paint these things not not ironically anymore like it's just not taken as art and um and I just think that's funny you did make that. some, you did make some A, self-portraits and B, cat paintings, didn't you? For sure. Of Chad? Um, I, I've started making many portraits of my cat and yes. I just think that it's funny that we can't <laughs> call that high art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I but, think that it is. We're reclaiming the cat portrait. But I think, you know, I think if you think about it, most artists get into art for subconscious meditative purposes and then maybe go to college and start thinking to conceptually i don't know, <laughs> then, like, you know just, like it loses that um selfishness of, yeah i'm just doing it for you yeah and yeah i want to have fun when i'm painting you know it's yeah it has to be rewarding in several ways yes yeah yeah. You know, when I first looked at these, I thought of um, that the moon was a cyclops, and then I thought of Goya's cyclops with that that giant, or Goya's giant and Goya's cyclops. Those two paintings, mm-hmm. that giant body in the in the landscape or behind the landscape, and then the cyclops was like this weird looking, one eyed. I gotta look this up. I gotta look this piece up. Go ahead. All... <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot cool. about these, huh? Yeah, kind of. Uh, I don't know, unsettling, of course, because it's Goya, mm-hmm. but they're also a little bit. I don't know. They just comfortable in in the in their oddness or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like the face almost gives it like personality. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it humanizes it, which I don't want to do yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, um, when I'm looking at your stuff too, I was, I was thinking about the, um, the moon as witness or something or, or, or yeah, 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 especially in the larger one, I feel like, you know, I was painting the moon as the moon, but then it did get developed like a face and I was into that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's so interesting because you're kind of squaring it up against like real people versus ideal people. And this is Mm -hmm. so much about like the concept of an ideal in general and like the way that um, women's bodies have ideals enforced on them all the time. And you're kind of like, 
taking that and being like men's bodies also like because men also struggle with a lot of the same body issues it's talked about less um Mm -hmm. in terms of like having ideals presented to them and all of these kind of things um and I also think you know like it's also I'm glad that they're not real people you know like that you're not trying Mm -hmm. to make it real people because it keeps the focus on the ideal Right. It keeps the idea being whether that ideal that you're trying to call on is, as Jacob was saying earlier, like what what did you say, like workout bodies or something? Or you're like looking at ancient sculpture or your whatever it is. Right. Or like farmer boys, whatever. (laughs) Like there's a certain um, group of aesthetic ideals that you're gesturing toward with these muscular bodies um, and like a history of the ideal body that I think is also really important and can be an interesting direction to right to think about um so like Mm -hmm. i don't think that you should make them real people (laughs) um you know like you've done work where you've painted real people right the cunnilingus series many of the like many other works that you've done um that are specifically like celebrities which is another interesting thing like celebrities and sex and giving people what they want and blah 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 um but this is not about that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's so divorced from trying to make paintings of the real. But the Cyclops painting, too, the Goya painting, yeah, it definitely feels more real. And yet at the same time, it's totally unsettlingly not. <laughs> um, but that head being there really, really, really makes it so different from what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, speaking of, like, an art uh, ideal, you know, I one of the paintings with a guy reaching with his hand. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's noticeable, but I, like, took one of the, you know, the creator hands, and it was mm-hmm. just, like, a little, yeah. But then I also... Towards, like, yeah, the art world's participation in creating this... <laughs> This, but also the the penis is yeah. like making its way over the mountains or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just lays on yeah. It. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that one really made me laugh in the gallery because again, like in these paintings in general, there's much less focus on genitalia than in some of your other work. But that yeah. one is just like a really funny I mean, it's like the finger and pointing and pointing and like. <laughs> the lazy penis yeah. pointing. Yeah, exactly. The sort of like sloped over penis is pointing to the earth and then the hand is pointing to the moon. Um, and there's like all kinds of like funny things that you're playing around with there. And also, I think it's also because it's the same thing in the largest painting where it's not clear how ethereal the figures are because they seem to be translucent, but then this translucent sky body, the penis is over the mountain and it's like the translucent penis over the mountain. You can't see the mountain through it. So like what's going on there, you know, they're not just ethereal, completely transparent or translucent beings, you know? Um, So it's also like a fun way of playing with, the viewer's expectations of what's happening with the colors and with the atmosphere um, and with yeah. the environment. So, and then 
Like, you walk in and you just laugh at it. Like, you don't process all of that stuff, even though you're, like, my brain kind of did. But it just reads as funny because it's an interruption of the language and expectations that you set up, I guess, mm. is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Sorry, it took me a while to get there, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I also saw um, on the Mother Gallery Instagram that you had this painting of, like, a vagina peeing a rainbow. Did you... Was, yeah. Is, that's not there, is it? It's not part of the okay. show, but it's part of the series, you know, ongoing and... Yeah, Moon Rise, or The Moon Also Rises, number 11. Yeah, and it's a, it's a smaller piece, and... Yeah, I just, you know, I just felt like throwing it off, put in a little female presence in there and uh that one felt right you know that felt like a <laughs> the right way to paint a, a female body <laughs> peeing a rainbow i mean it was perfect it did it made me laugh the same way that the penis over the mountain made me laugh um and it took me a minute too to even understand what was happening exactly so i think it was another good like blatantly putting genitalia out there but like being able to make it even though that painting is about that vagina in the sky it still sort of isn't like it's not the first you know like it's really great to see you making these paintings that it's like it's there it's really obvious and it's not the only thing you look at um yeah it's vaginas in the skies with diamonds i know i said that in my head too jacob (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you about the Hemingway quote, um, and like just the title of the show as a response, again, like this kind of inversing and mirroring of like toxic dudes. Um, but I also wondered, like, did you come to that after you started working on the series or did you kind of read this and like, were you thinking about the Hemingway quote the whole time that you've been working on the project? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... I don't think I was thinking about Hemingway the whole time I was working on this. I think that Hemingway was part of my lockdown. Maybe other people too, you know, I was watching the documentary and reading him and really couldn't get into him, you know. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think when I was just thinking a lot about the, the show as we were putting it together, he just kind of really captured that spirit of, the thing men aspire to that's pretty useless. And then also in the context of his book, like how men see their weaknesses. And again, you know, generalization, but this idea that this man man is less than because he's impotent, not because he's just walking, like, you know, just hanging out in Europe, drinking, doing nothing. (laughs) Yeah. And he has a job in the book, but still, you know what I mean? Like the whole men's perception of strength and weakness as opposed to reality yes and and how Hemingway and his life play into that symbolism because you know I would say he's a lot of guys put him on the pedestal he's really um yeah yeah I mean and I think you know the quote that you could have pulled other quotes probably too from this book but I also think you know this idea of like oh I can't leave the quote is about how he can't leave his wife because then it would like destroy her. It would be too cruel. It says to deprive her of himself, which is like such a egoistic, egoistic, narcissistic, like attitude. 
And it's really, um, this is one of the other kind of interesting flips that you're doing here, which is like men are encouraged to have a huge ego and, and often women are not, um, encouraged to have that kind of ego. Um, and you're sort of like, in a way you're like pointing that out, right? Like this kind of earth association and all of that. It's really, um, I felt like it was a really well-chosen quote. And a lot of times in press releases, there are lots of not well-chosen quotes. Um, so I really, I was like very impressed with it when I read it. I was like, oh yeah, that makes the whole show for me. Um, um so I can't take credit for choosing that quote, just to be clear. Uh, Cash, who wrote the essay, picked that quote and yeah, I thought it was, uh, incredible. Cool. Just yeah. Completely no, nailed it. yeah. I totally agree. Um, I think it's a great, I think it's great. Tell them great. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So the yeah. show, the show is up through July, mid-July, right? July mm-hmm. 16th. Um, yeah. You know, I really want to encourage people to go see it. Obviously, this is not a show that's at Field Projects. It's at Mother Gallery, which is on the fourth floor of a building. Would we call this the Lower East Side? Tribeca? Uh, Tribeca. Maybe? Tribeca. Yeah. Super worth the trip. Please go see it. Um, yeah. Jacob, do you have final thoughts to wrap things up? Yes, definitely. Well, the uh, last thing I'll, I'll kind of comment on the paintings was I was thinking of these ethereal bodies as Eros, um, mm-hmm. the sky god or whatever. At the beginning, there's Gaia and Eros, right? And um, interested in, in asking you about if there was any reference in that or if you were, if that was just, you know, accident. Um, no. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, more interest. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not much of a mythology buff. I guess I'm more of a yeah, know, yeah, yeah. A, yeah. Whatever is happening around me, kind of like constantly responding to that. But yeah, yeah. But I'm glad you picked up on that. You know, I think that's uh, great. Yeah. Well, um, I think you're also making your own mythologies, right? So, like, intentionally not looking at other mythologies to make these paintings, I think, makes a lot of sense yeah. because you're sort of like create you're you're doing a world making thing where you're like creating your own language for how to paint these figures um you're and like you don't need to look at other mythologies to do that kind of world creating um and so i feel like they they do recall different mythologies but i think it's just because the worlds feel so specific like it feels like they're calling on some kind of narrative that already exists even if they're not, right? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Jay. Yeah. And I would think of, and I also, I mean, because I come from also a very specific sort of art background, like I came to art through the books of, like the covers of books at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And like this sort of palette and this kind of, you know, landscape and sort of longing and all of that um, really resonates with me in that in that sense, which was also like a, you know, I mean, it's kind of like commercial, and um, and and not not kitsch in the way that kitsch, whatever we understand kitsch now, but in a in a sort of sincerity um, or f- fantastical mm-hmm. world of you know uh, glowing nipples and beautiful sunsets. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, it, yeah, I 
I love Americana, nostalgia. I feel like I was looking at a little bit of Star Wars with this, even though I'm not really even into Star Wars, but I think like the cinematics of it. And, oh my yeah. God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think like, yeah, I, I, I'm creating a world for myself where like that is the aesthetic that I want. And, but I think it's also the romanticization of, it's always connected to my romanticization of America because immigrant and like you always be like have this illusion of it even yeah um, even now even though I know how flawed everything is it's still some magical place mm -hmm. uh, yeah the myth continues that's my mythology in America <laughs> it's like the myth keeps on going even though you're here on the ground yeah For sure yeah I still want to buy it I still like want to see what I saw you know um yeah, yeah the power of myth yeah 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 I, well, I, is writing. I, I just wanted to uh plug mother's address in for anybody that yeah, wants to definitely which I got to show it. it's at 368 broadway 415 it's up through july 16th cool so. yeah thanks i mean i'll definitely you can find that down in the show notes mm -hmm. if you're listening okay, and um you Probably know. easier that way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, no, but whatever. It's still good to say it here, right? The, um, yeah, mother and mother, how long have they been there? Do you know? So the Tribeca location, about a year. Maybe yeah, because I thought they were like upstate or something. Yeah, and their flagship location is in Beacon. And okay. They've been there for four years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Thank we you so much. love these paintings. I think they're awesome. The show is excellent. Yeah. Everyone should go loved, see it. We've loved your work ever since we've seen it. Ever since yeah. I saw it in, what was that? It was in Guanas in a small mm -hmm. little studio amongst other studios. <laughs> I remember that studio. <laughs> yes, you guys will have to come check out the new one. <laughs> for sure, uh, for awesome. sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. Awesome. Uh, Thank you again. Yeah, thanks for doing this with us. Um, good luck with the end of the show. I hope you sell everything. Um, <laughs> Chris, Ready? what should our audience go see? Oh, shit. Oh. Um, okay, we're already doing go sees. Hello. Um. Okay, I'll say something. Okay, go <laughs> ahead. Jenna Robinson Wish Fulfillment is at Crush Projects, cool. which is on the seventh floor below us. And uh, that's in the last week of the show. So go and see that while you can. Okay, awesome. We also, at the top of the show, said a couple of things. So you said to go see Morbid Anatomy, right? What? what? Morbid Anatomy. Yep, there's a, they have a flea market down at uh, Industry City, um, and that's Saturday, 3 to 9. Mm -hmm. And then also, we've already done this as a show recommendation. I'm sorry to say this one, but um, Keisha, our friend Keisha Perlieu Martin, yeah, her show, I, Garden Party, is up through the 16th of July. Have you gone and seen it yet? Nope. Oh, I saw it. <laughs> you did. That's right, that's right, Keisha. Who loves you? Who loves you more? Yeah. No, <laughs> that's absolutely not true. <laughs> now, yes. Keisha, Who I love you, you equally. 
equally. Like parents. <laughs> are like um, fucking parents. Yeah, that's at Olympia. And um, so there's some, there's her sculptures there, which are on this little tiny plinth, which I really, really loved. And those were in the show at Art Shack. When she, she made them resident. at the residency, right? Yeah, she made them at the residency there. And then there's her paintings. And I just feel like the sculptures and the paintings, they 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 talk they they talk so much they do so much for each other um it was it was just a really exciting to see them together and cool. congratulations keisha that's that was really awesome go see it cool what else do you have um tempest fujit 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 tempest fujit a group exhibition at latchkey gallery which has two of our uh past residents you know what tempest uh, fujit means no, tell me. Time flies. I'm taking a Latin class again. Ha ha. <laughs> totally pays off. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, sorry. We have two residents in that show. It's a group show. Lydia Nobles and Callie Roach. I also wanted to recommend, um, I mean, I at the top I mentioned the National Arts Club. Today's the last day of their like spring slash summer programming. So there will be a talk there tonight on Tuta Kamen and also on fashion and color, if you're interested. Uh, but you should also know that you can go to their website um, and request recordings from them of their previous talks. So there's some really good lectures you could go check out. Um, the other things I wanted to say is that the Greenwood Residency, Heidi Lau, has the this awesome catacomb exhibition of her sculpture, of, I'm sorry, of their sculpture, and also that the next person I also love who's doing the Greenwood residency, which is Rowan Renee. Um, and Rowan is just like a completely amazing person. Definitely go see if you can do a studio visit with them. And if not, um, at the end, there will be an exhibition of their work that they make during the residency. Um, and that's a year long residency. So Heidi's work that you can go see that's up there now is the culmination of a year of work at Greenwood Cemetery. Final yeah. thoughts? Any final thoughts? Nope. Enjoy your week. Yeah, enjoy your week. Um, we're excited for the transition to season two, uh, as you heard at the top of the show. But this is just a quick reminder that next week you're going to have Jacob to yourselves. Um, I won't be yeah. there. Jacob will be doing the first summer short. Um, he'll be chatting with somebody and I'll be with you the following week. And from then on, for the rest of the summer, you'll hear from each of us every other week. And the format will be quite a bit shorter. Um, so you can look forward to still hearing from us this summer, but hearing from us slightly less, which maybe will make you happy. I don't know. You make it to the end of the podcast <laughs> if you're here listening. So. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. Fuck yeah. All right. Should we field pod? One, two, three. Field Yay! Uh, we're doing it over Zoom. We fucking can't. <laughs> we can't. We need the vibes. Um, the in-person vibes.
are super excited for that. We've had a couple of hiccups with crap happening. <laughs> I don't know if we should talk about that. Um, yep. But it's called uh, Senshisht. I can't say it. No. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> no, it's spelled wrong. Why is it spelled wrong? Okay, that's why I was fucking up. Senshisht. 